So hi guys and uh, welcome to another episode uh, on the Growth Point TV podcast series. Um, this is episode 12 and today I'm really excited actually uh, as I'll be interviewing Titi Mutendi. Um, she's currently based in Zim and uh, she's, uh, I think for my description, a serial entrepreneur. I was really struggling to put uh, a title to her uh, sort of legacy and what she does. And um, once again, uh, thanks for taking the time out to come on the podcast, CC, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, sure. I think without me describing, well, how would you describe yourself um, in terms of what you're doing now? If you were to put a title to yourself or just describe yourself in a few lines. Um, there was a time I did an article for um, She Leads Africa and I called myself the queen of startups. But I would say now um, I've gone back to my roots, which is legacy building. Um, I truly believe that the opportunity we have to live is an opportunity to make a difference in some way. So whatever we do, it should impact and uh, impact is a long term thing as opposed to being a short term gain thing. So I would say I am a serial entrepreneur, like you said, and mm-hmm. um, I am focused on legacy building. Okay, okay, yeah, I think, yeah, that's really, really helpful to understand exactly what you, how you def- define yourself, because uh, as much as people can write and blog about what you currently do, it's, uh, it's always best when you sort of define what you exactly do. Um, so, for the, just for the sake of people that are joining us for the first time on the podcast, the first segment, we're just going to cover Titi's uh, background story in business, uh, some of the businesses she started. Um, I think we'll start all the way back in uh, when you started Jewel Magazine to currently what you're doing now with uh, African family firms in your own platform, which is Naka Legacy Planning. Um, then the final segment, we just want to cover maybe your personal development journey, um, some of the courses you've taken in school, uh, things you've studied, and I know you're currently studying your NBA now. So some of the things obviously you've learned along the way and some lessons you can teach us, hopefully, about business and um, yeah, some lessons learned along the way. Okay, so I think so. What, what was your first business? Would, would, that, would that be correct to say Jewel Magazine was the first business you started, or did you have any other businesses before that? Um, I had quite a number of businesses before that, like okay. I said, serial entrepreneur. Yeah, sure. So, um, my entrepreneurial journey started when I was probably 19, um, well, in sales and um. I had a lot of failed businesses before I had successful ones. I think Jewel is the most successful that people know about. And also okay. there's Mocha, which is um, my fashion brand, which is an African print fashion brand that was stocked up in Edgar's for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did um, a doll, a, a, a doll, a Waldorf doll production, which I took to Nuremberg in Germany. And um, it was focused on creating um, positive um, racially positive dolls as well as um, body positive dolls for little girls um, and they were made by uh, women from the less privileged adv- uh, group and that was quite an interesting journey until I had until not, not until I had to but until I sold the business because I wanted to focus something else I'm still okay. very much in publishing um, I may not uh, we stopped publishing Jewel in 2015 2016 
And, uh, but I'm still very much in publishing. I published the Edgar's Club magazine as one of the flagship magazines that we do. And uh, we publish with quite a number of independent authors, as well as um, some corporate magazines that we do that are in-house magazines for them. So publishing is still very much part of the journey. The, mm-hmm. the fashion label is something that I then sold at some point in time. So I no longer do that. My focus is became elsewhere. Okay. I am now mostly involved in, in the education space because of the Montessori primary school that I run. And um, there's publishing, Montessori Primary School, and um, also working family business advisory and um, building that legacy of building the African economy, should I say. So, yeah, I think I've drifted from ego-based businesses where I want to prove a point that it could be done Mm -hmm. to businesses that mean something to me that I I feel like um, if I was to depart this earth, when I depart, because that's inevitable, I'll be able to leave something that people can look back on and um, still build on it. So I am just laying bricks where other people will lay other bricks. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Okay, I just wanted to take you back because I think I want to just get just get in a little bit more detail. You said you started uh, the doll brand. Was that the Mufaro Toys? Yeah, that's the name. Yes, that's the okay. dolls. Yes. So you you sort of started that producing locally by people, and was it in yeah. Zimbabwe producing Zimbabwe, and you were yes, distributing producing Zimbabwe. Yes. Sorry. And we distribute. It was produced in Zimbabwe, and we're distributing globally. Globally, okay. Until you sort of yeah. sold it to who, who did you sell it to? That if if you're allowed to talk about the details, well, well, I can't <laughs> talk about that. But then <laughs> so, I pretty much tell you that I did sell it to somebody who had um, common interest, and I believe that they'd be a good custodian to the brand. Okay. So is it still running at the moment from your understanding? I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sure, sure. Because uh, 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 there's another guest that I wanted to come on the show uh, because she does uh, Afrocentric dolls as well. And, uh, you know, in, in, in England and in America, in most Western countries really, um, having those uh, dolls that represent more people, that are more diverse more black characters, that sort of thing. It's actually something that's really trending now. Now, the reason I was just asking, I just wanted to find out wh- whether you still had some involvement with that because obviously that market seems to be exploding, really. Yeah, sure. <laughs> not anymore, not anymore. I think um, my it's, I'm very passionate about the things I do. So I tend to, if I want, if I'm involved in something or I am running a business, I'm very hands-on. And um, I look at its projection and also I want to understand how it's working, mm. where it's working and um, how it's growing because it does uh, influence my brand as well. Okay. And um, it influences the thought processes I'm going into. Mm-hmm. So right now, as you see my businesses, they're very much focused on the education space. So okay. uh, publishing, very much educational because we're telling people stories. I feel like um, on the continent, not enough stories are being told. And we rely a lot on oral tradition, which Mm -hmm. is going to be a big failure for us as a continent. As much as we talk about diversity and we talk about we want people to know um, that Africa is a continent and not a country, we are not releasing as much literature as we should and telling as much African stories as we should. I mean, Africa is definitely a continent and not a country. And there's so many different languages. There's so many different ways of communicating um, our stories. We're not taking advantage of all these platforms that we now have. Mm -hmm. And history will judge us harshly because 
if you consider right now, the moments we have lived are now immediately in our past. And the fact that you've recorded this means that my voice is going to project into a future that we do not yeah, know about. Yeah, but then for those people who are not recording their stories and they're thinking, well, my story is not important. They don't realize that every single story is. And one of the most impactful stories that can illustrate that example is if you think of the Holocaust, it's one of the most um, terrifying terrifying moments in history that we've heard of, um, as well even as, as the Rwandan genocides on the continent bring it home. But when you look at the Holocaust, the one story that touched us, that uh, spread through time that we still talk about now is the diary of Anne Frank. It was a little girl who just shared her experiences throughout that period. And her story became the story everybody held on to. So in Africa, are our stories reaching out through time? In 100, 200 years from now, is somebody going to be talking about us or are we going to be sharing our stories in, in these mediums that we have now? Or are we just going to be the continent that nobody knows about? Okay. Yeah, the well, fair point, fair point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that, actually, because I wanted to ask you about dance media. Is that, is that how you pronounce it? Is it? Yes, that's Dance correct. media. So this is that's where correct. you do most of your publishing from, isn't it? Where you're doing the magazines and... Like yeah. Yes. Can you? Yeah, sure. Can you just tell us more yes. about dance media? And obviously, you, you did touch on the reasons why it's important for us to publish our stories. Can you just tell us about obviously how you sort of came about with dance media mm -hmm. and and some of the projects you've done basically now? At least you can break them down for us basically what you've done with that platform. Sure. Okay, so dance media was started in 2011. Um, it came from personal experience. So I think in 2011, I was still very much wanting to do my fashion label and very much focused on that. But um, mm -hmm. through a personal life experience um, where I lost a child, um, I had a stillbirth. And that experience for me was a very painful experience. And I think going through uh, just the experience itself, the 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 series of events that happened during that time and trying to to re-navigate who I believed I was and what I really wanted to come out of my life uh, because even for me it was a near-death experience um, I started dance media just to start Jewel magazine it was that was the initial um, aim to start Jewel magazine but as I started the magazine itself, um, I had a lot of people who were sharing their stories. I wanted to showcase stories from women. It was focused towards women because I believe that um, the experience I went through as a woman, I didn't have any background resources. I didn't have anyone sharing with me what they went through. Everybody started sharing with me after the experience. And I felt like, right, this is um, it's hard. And it would have been easier, maybe not, um, but it would help if I had known a lot of these stories and a lot of these experiences and been immersed in them and been prepared for, for what I went through. And even when people were sharing their own experiences, it was just to, to provide comfort in that moment. And so I felt that it was really important to showcase the many experiences women have the experiences that we don't share, the experiences that we need to share. And the magazine became an outlet that wasn't as hard to digest. 
And um, it was an easy read, but it shared important celebrations, important stories, information that women needed, and was packaged in, um, a, in a format that they would engage in. And that's how the publishing story started. I started telling stories through the magazine. Mm -hmm. Then other people wanted us to tell their stories, whether they were corporate stories, school stories. And then we then moved on to um, actually telling fiction and nonfiction books. And my husband was also uh, published under dance media. He won two namas for two of his publications, one for uh, children's stories and the other one for um, Mazaye Meni, which is... Um, a story that is based in in the past, but very much fictional, but very much riveting. And I'm not just saying that because he's my husband, but it's a really good story. Mm. Um, but it became a vehicle that I found was really important to sustain and to to keep happening because it was storytelling. And that mm. is the one thing we needed. We're good at storytelling as Africans, but yeah, we're not true. capturing yeah. it on, on the platforms that we need to. So dance media still continues to tell stories, although it's not um, continuing to tell stories through the, the initial format. But um, the heart of the organization, what it was started for, is still what drives us and what keeps it alive and what keeps it moving forward. Okay. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to say, I mean, thank you very much for sharing that very personal story. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't really expecting you to, to be very open and uh, vulnerable with that story. Yeah. Uh, Thanks again for sharing that. I'm pretty sure a lot of women that will listen to it that have not heard that before from you um, will be able to, um, to relate to your story if they've gone through similar experiences. And again, uh, thanks again for sharing that. It's uh, really touching, really. And I think what the lesson I learned from that is um, using those experiences is actually what propelled you in terms of dance media and things, some of the things you've done, really, especially for women. I know you do a lot of, mentoring as well um uh, for for the legacy of women's foundation and things like that i think we'll get into that so i just wanted to ask you we see what was we just still covering media sort of related things in terms of your fashion label that's the mucha culture i don't know if i'm saying that right um mm -hmm. is it yeah so are you still are you still involved with that in terms of the 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 designing and obviously being part of that brand no, not at all. Um, I tend to, when I sell my brands, um, mm. I sell them to very capable owners and custodians. Okay. And um, I move on to something new, something exciting, and something that is more representative of who I'm becoming. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So I guess it leads us to, um, I want to just talk about the Mutendi Montessori, yeah. um, which is what you're currently involved with. Like you say, you're very big on legacy and creating opportunities for the next generation. For those people that are not even familiar with what a Montessori is, could you just explain what that is in terms of the differences between a Montessori and perhaps a traditional school, maybe a primary school or a mainstream school? Oh, wow. This yes. is going to be interesting because I love Montessori. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Montessori is a methodology of, 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 of learning and teaching. It was started over 100 and something years ago now by a lady called Maria Montessori. She's an Italian lady okay. and she was um, a, a doctor. She was a, one of the first female doctors in her country. And um, when she was going through her experience, they, uh, they, didn't know what to do with a female doctor. They didn't know what to do with her because she was she was way beyond her time. 
So then they um, assigned her to work with children who had um, who were what they called social disabilities. And uh, she started working with these children and trying to get them an education. So while she was doing this, she realized that children are fascinating because she, she was studying psychology. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the basic principle of Montessori is um, when you look at children, we look at them as human beings, but we start looking at them as human beings a little further along the line than we should. So I always give an example of um, a tabula rasa or a blank tablet, as they call it in the educational space. And instead, I use a, a blank tablet in terms of the tech gadget or a phone. Mm-hmm. So when you get your, your phone or whatever it is, your gadget, it usually has your basic operating systems and you switch it off, switch it on, and then you start putting apps in there because you want it to work in a certain way or you want to certain use certain apps that function on it. But basically when it comes, it comes empty. And um, when you start uploading apps, it starts downloading off the internet or the Wi-Fi to mm-hmm. update its apps, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at a child, a child is born, right? And you think, oh, cute little baby. But they're not really cute when they're born. They're, they're cute a few days later. But like they're born, they're cute, but they come with their basic operational functions. They eat, sleep, use the toilet and cry when, they dis- when there's discomfort. And then there's milestones that we check along the line as in they start um, being able to see at a certain age. They start being able to smell, being able to feel and recognize touch, being able to sit, being able to crawl, being able to stand. And most of these things are developmental milestones that happen on their own. And if they don't happen, you know, there's something very wrong with the baby. But what we don't realize as parents is that this is your typical tablet or phone. You've introduced it to the world and it's downloading off those apps that you've uploaded onto it. So your home might be an app. The people you expose it might be an app. The TV might be an app. All these things, it's downloading, it is watching, it is observing, and from that it is learning. So mm-hmm. it's learning to sit because it sees you sitting, learning to stand because it sees you standing, learning to walk because it sees you walking, learning to eat and chew and all these things because it's been observant. And i always fascinated by parents who say, oh my goodness, my baby is so smart. And I'm like, well, the human brain is known as the smartest computer on on earth mm-hmm. you cannot create a computer smarter than the human brain what makes you think that you can keep it for six years until it goes to grade one and it won't be learning how is that possible okay. because when you walk into a space with wi-fi with a computer with apps what does it do yeah yeah that's true <laughs> it starts downloading right mm-hmm. so when you leave it at home with the nanny or on itself or a daycare or wherever you leave your child what is it doing it is learning. It is downloading. So six years, six by 365 days of learning. And then you want to put it into an educational atmosphere. By six, a child has solidified its learning. By six, a child has decided what it wants and doesn't want to learn. And by six, most of the character of the child has been formulated. In Montessori speak, the ages between three and six are called the super absorbent stages. That is the stage where your child really gives up their learning, learns their foundational stuff and and decides how they want to learn really. So you have three years 
critical years or six critical years, which the traditional system doesn't utilize. It says do not expose them to letters or words and stuff like mm -hmm. that. It'll start reading at six. Most of the Montessori children can start reading at two and three, four. Oh. My youngest oh. is three and she can read. And my oldest is nine. And during the lockdown, the first lockdown, she finished the whole Harry Potter box set and watched the movies. So you have the, these children who are super smart, not because they're geniuses, because all human beings are geniuses. It's just what you expose them to. And so Maria Montessori just allowed us to use a methodology where we teach these children at the right age and start giving them information in the right format and allowing them to flourish. And so with the Montessori system, it teaches innovative thinking, it teaches um, forward thinking, and it helps children to become their own. And especially moving into a space where we have the fourth industrial um, revolution happening and things are changing at a fast pace. Mm -hmm. And you have jobs that have not even been defined or created for a whole workforce that is being born. The best thing you can do is start creating a workforce that is innovative and can transcend the dynamics of the traditional system and take itself into that fourth and fifth industrial revolution with clarity. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's very comprehensive. I was, <laughs> thank you very much for sharing that. It really explains, uh, at least you took us back to the history. What was the name again? Is it? Maria Montessori. Maria Montessori. I know the way That's back great. to how it's expanded all across the world now. So uh, what age group are you sort of tailoring to in your, in your institution at the moment? We start from pre-primary, three years old, because that's when they start to read, right up to um, end of high school. Mm. And hopefully as they go into university, we'll have helped them transcend into that. Okay. So how many students on, uh, would you say uh, you currently is something you can talk about? Currently or? we're still very small. Yeah, sure. currently we're still very small um, and we are, and my children are part of the school system and we're still growing it. Let's see how it goes. Okay. Yeah, sure. Sure. Definitely. Definitely. So in terms of Montessori, are they very popular in Zim at the moment? Because, you know, we still have, you know, like from when I was young, we were, I went to crash in primary school, then, you know, high school, then obviously moving on to university. Are they lo a lot of Montessori's in, in Zim at the moment or? Well, with Montessori, there is uh, the use of the name Montessori is not um, something that's prohibited. Anyone can call themselves Montessori. It's actually <laughs> using the methodology yeah, that sure. uh, is the game changer. And I think there's a, a lot of Montessoris everywhere. Um, but then you have to understand what Montessori is and be able to walk into a classroom or into the mm. school and understand what the expectations are for Montessori. There are organizations that are representative of Montessori, like Montessori uh, Center International that we align ourselves with. Okay. Um, and also you have to see the, the impact of Montessori globally. I think a lot of traditional systems are, try are starting to adopt some of the methodology, not all of it, but some of it, because they've seen how robust it is and how important it is. And also, I think, for example, in, in the UK, you have uh, the Cambridges, they, their mm -hmm. children go to a Montessori school. So Montessori is becoming mainstream. If you Google uh, a lot of famous people that are impactful, a lot of uh, famous people that are changing the world currently are all Montessorians. Oh, wow. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, because I was going to just uh, touch on the evidence that obviously it's producing what it is. But uh, thank, thanks for actually sharing that because uh, 
a lot of people obviously still uh, not familiar with this, want to know what's the evidence behind this uh, uh, type of system. Um, so, um, yeah, I think <clears throat> what I want to move on to, so excuse me, um, is um, your work with NACA Legacy Planning. Uh, from my understanding, you do a lot of family governance, uh, family business advisory. Can you just tell us more about NACA Legacy Planning? I know you touched a bit about it, why you do it and the reasons, and just perhaps uh, talk about that and as well as you're also involved with African family firms, uh, which is your non- yeah. non-profit platform as well. Yeah, so we just want to yeah. delve into that. Yeah, sure. So as you will see, a lot of my businesses uh, stem from my personal experiences. So the mm-hmm. Montessori schools, because of my children, I have three young children and um, I wanted them to be sitting at the table instead of being on the menu. So that's why the Montessori <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> and then Naka Legacy and African Family Firms. Um, those came about um, after about three years ago, I lost my dad. And um, my dad was one of the first dermatologists in Zimbabwe. And um, he was an interesting man. Um, and he was an important man in our family because he was my dad. Um, But losing him and having to be the executor of his estate made me very conscious of the fact that in Africa, we have a low number of family businesses that transcend from one generation to another. I'm actually a third generation family business owner. Both my grandparents on my mom and my dad's side were family business owners. My parents were family business owners. Yet as a third gen, I've had to start my own family businesses and be an entrepreneur in my own right. Mm -hmm. And um, which is something that is not always sustainable on the continent because we are losing intellectual capital. We're losing skills as well as we're losing wealth every time a family does not become a multi-generational family business. It's very important for us on the continent to start creating businesses that transcend from one generation to a family to another, to extend skills, to extend industries, to be able to extend wealth as well. Because every time we lose wealth, that means our economies are suffering greatly for it. Yes, we may blame governments and so forth, but we also have to take our own chunk of the uh, the blame and understanding that um, governments can only create an environment. We have to be able to push them to create an environment that is viable for us and and ensure that we give them a reason to create an environment that is viable for us. As Africa, we are looking at becoming the next economic giant. We have got all the tools and resources. We have the youngest population. We have the mineral resources, the arable land. We have everything. However, only 2% of family businesses on the continent move from the first generation, the founder, to the next gen. And globally, 30% of family businesses move from founder to next gen. And so because of this, as a continent, we are failing and uh, we are failing to grow economically to the level that we can. So I'm not saying we're an overall failure. I'm saying we're failing to get to the mm-hmm. level that we can. Yeah, and true. so through Naka Legacy, my job um, or my passion has become to work with family businesses and look at creating blueprints. So I say blueprints because family governance is the most misunderstood conversation on the continent. Every time I say family governance, everyone starts thinking corporate governance and they're like, oh, we're governance compliant. (laughs) No. Family governance is a whole different ballgame. It's uh, focused on the family. It's focused on ensuring that the family has a blueprint that is going to maybe be able to navigate them from one generation to another. It's focused on building strong family relationships, managing conflict, expectations, and transitions 
from one generation to another, that succession planning, that wealth um, transitioning has to happen in family governance. It has nothing to do with corporate governance. Corporate governance is on its own very important for doing global business. But without family governance, no matter how much corporate governance you have in your, in your business, you will face that reality of being one of the families that may fail to transcend from one generation to another. So you have to understand what family governance is, which is the work that I do, working with families, create a blueprint for their family. And no family is the same as the, the previous family. So it's not a cut and paste job. You can't say, oh, what did this family do? Let's do the same. And absolutely not. Each family is different. Each family is unique. And I help families navigate that journey. I also, through AFF, um, which is a nonprofit, like you mentioned, I'm mm -hmm. the co-founder of it with my sister, Anike Anani, who's in Lagos. And um, we decided to create a nonprofit that was focused on creating a community for family businesses. And the community is a very strong focus on understanding what a family business is, empowering them to be able to take um, and create resources through education, research, as well as community building, networking, and an advocacy. Currently, we see a lot of funds flowing out of the continent mm -hmm. and uh, people positioning themselves in other regions um, with family wealth, which is another disadvantage to the continent and its economic growth. So it's important to have these conversations and challenge the governments and challenge the regional and the continental bodies like the AU and say, why are you not seeing family businesses? How can we make this space available for them to stay there, to keep their money there? And also, how can we get our next gents to stay on the continent and to engage and to be able to, to build the continent along with everybody else so all these conversations need to happen aff helps facilitate these conversations and brings in international flavors international conversations and sees what's going on within the region within the global and um, brings it closer to home on a country level as well so my work is very much focused on building that future so educating the workforce through intendi montessori and creating a blueprint for future wealth to Naka legacy and African family firms. Okay. Yeah, that brings us nicely towards uh, the end of the business section. But I uh, just to go back on that. I think you really, really touched uh, on, a, on a very important point because a lot of businesses, even when I still travel back to Zim, so many businesses were around when I was a bit younger. They're just non-existent and they, that transition has not taken place at all. And Absolutely. But, it's true, it's true. And when you look at Western countries, for example, if you look at the Walton family, when Sir, Sir Walton passed away, um, all his uh, children, they still remain billionaires and they're topping their Forbes list and things like that. And it's definitely something I think we're not doing more of uh, on, in, on the African continent, like you rightly pointed out. Um, and my question is, how receptive have people been to sort of you offering this uh, consultation and um, inviting them to be part of the family conversations. Obviously, these might be quite sensitive topics and things around legacy planning. How receptive have people been so far? So I can't generalize the African continent. I can just yeah, say sure. that, you know what? Um, pioneers get shot, settlers make money. <laughs> so being <laughs> yeah, sure. pioneers, we're always in the firing line. We are trying mm. 
to it's not the conversation is not new globally okay. um the family business conversation is well well advanced there's so yeah, many sure. um advisors there's so many conversations there's so many things happening that is empowering family businesses if you say if you look at um germany the economy is run by the middle stretch which is the yeah. the family businesses the yeah. middle uh, the mid mid-sized family businesses i mean it it shows you that there is power in family businesses they contribute to 85% of global gdp mm-hmm. i mean they they employ more than half of the world's population family mm-hmm. businesses rock even in But politics as well i must say even in politics out there every, well, <laughs> every family sure. every family has a thing mm-hmm. and so as we look at that we need to be very mindful of the fact that in africa everything takes time like african time is different from international time as i've learned mm. but because it takes time you need to empower and educate um these people need to know and through aff we're creating that empowerment and that education africa is still very fairly young in terms of its development we mm-hmm. can't be looking at um being look at countries like the united states that are like 200 and something odd years of um liberation and um the 4th of July and everything mm-hmm. whereas in Africa still fairly new in this space we are still um trying to figure out who we are our, our conversations are more political than they are um economic we need That's to true. start moving towards economic conversations we need to start moving towards profitable conversations we also need to start um looking at that transition from one generation to another So we are still very much in in a generational transition that is not being completed uh politically economically and um next gens are itching to become pioneers but they also have to learn to understand the nature of the beast understand the nature of their homes and um, also know that things do not hope, happen overnight you cannot influence things if you're not on the ground you cannot understand things if you're not on the ground you have to be here you have to um also contribute and if you decide to contribute from out there know when and where to contribute as well as make it impactful make it go further than you think possible because that's what's really important that's where the real conversations are going to happen mm. okay <clears throat> yeah th- thanks for the nice nice little end note for us i just want to ask you in terms of um the, the question i like to ask a lot of entrepreneurs that come on the show what do you okay. feel has been your biggest lesson so far in all the businesses you've been involved in and that you're currently involved in what do you feel has been your biggest lesson if you can just share one with us i think my biggest lesson has been patience patience okay. patience patience and i think happens overnight mm-hmm. we especially in africa i don't know where we learned this whole you can make money overnight you can be instant billionaire as well it doesn't happen like that guys <laughs> you have to work 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 and you have to be patient and consistent consistency is key patience is key and you have to be forgiving to yourself and those around you and understand that it takes time your commitment to the cause as well as your consistency to the cause will give you the results because um look at it as i i just read something on on linkedin today where they said we look at it and we say rome was not built in a day which is what i was going to say mm-hmm. but also that um rome was not built by a single man it takes teams to build things Not, and so uh, you need yeah. to be able to uh, to build powerful teams you have to be able to 
make sure that day and night you're working towards this goal. And you must know that in some cases, you may not even see that goal fulfilled. I mean, look at visionaries like Martin Luther King and um, look at visionaries like Kwame Nkrumah, look at visionaries um, like Steve Biko. They all saw a future that we now live in, and but they saw it as the future and they contributed from where they were. And we remember them because of their contribution. So sometimes you must know and you must accept the fact that you are not building for yourself for your lifetime, but you're building for your great-grandchild lifetime. And it's very important to keep yourself focused on that and create a future that they will be proud of and they will look back at you and say, if it was not for you, they wouldn't be here. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's really dope. That's really cool that you shared that. I really like that and all that. I think I think we're just struggling for time because I know you have another appointment that you wanted to go for. I just want to ask you just briefly, in terms of your personal growth journey, um, where, where did you grow up? Because my understanding, feel rushed. It's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, you were you were born in Masingo. Correct me if I'm wrong. I was born in Harare, Harare. Okay. raised partially in Masingo, and yeah. then uh, raised in Sheffield, Newcastle. Then the majority of like end of primary, going to high school, throughout high school, uh, right up to pre pre university, I was in Masingo. So I am okay. very much a small town girl. Okay, which which school did you go to in Masingo? I went to Victoria High School. Oh, Victoria High School. Okay, and uh, and yeah. after that, w- w- did you go to do tertiary education abroad? What was your so stage? I I took the long way around of everything. I I started with UNISA, so I did. I started my my bachelor's in um, marketing with UNISA BCom, um, then ended up finishing it off with Zimbabwe Opening University. Okay. And um, yeah, and now I'm doing my master's degree with Durham University. Oh wow! Okay, and obviously you're studying now. And how you how you finding juggling working, studying, and a lot of your commitments? How have you found the uh, managing all these commitments that you have at the moment? <laughs> so how am I? Uh, how am I juggling? Um, yeah, I think sure. this is a question I get asked quite a lot. Um, remember that uh, analogy I told you about Rome. Mm-hmm. that it takes a team to build it yeah sure yes so if if you want to succeed you have to have strong tribes and strong teams and i have one of the best groupings of teams i think this the team that runs my school is a phenomenal uh the team that i work with at aff naka phenomenal mm-hmm. um my my family my my in-laws my uh my mom my sister Everybody, my husband, um, the, kid, the, the nanny who looks after my kids, everybody, even my kids themselves, they play their part. I mean, um, if I was in Harare now and I was in a meeting, my daughter would probably wander in and she sees me on my meeting. She'd be like, oh, mommy's in a meeting. Shh. And uh, <laughs> she'd let me carry on with it. And she's three. So it, it, it takes a village to raise a child. I am a child that is raised by a very strong village that is very supportive of my dreams and is very supportive of um, my legacy building journey. And um, they, they stand in and they hold the space when I need them to hold the space. And um, they keep cheering me forward, which is something I really, truly appreciate. So building that village is really important, having a strong tribe and a strong team. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that brings us nicely to towards the end of the podcast. I know, apologies 
uh, towards the end, we, we got a bit jumpy there. But um, is there anything that you feel we haven't discussed? Anything, any initiatives, anything you like people to know before we solve and uh, uh, this podcast? I think you have been an excellent host and I think you have touched on everything. Um, I don't think there was anything else left. <laughs> oh, thanks. Pretty much wrapped it all up. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, yeah. Um, if there's anything people want to ask from me, I'm always on social media. Uh, mm. I, do, I do respond here and there. Uh, I am mm. on LinkedIn and I am on Twitter. And um, occasionally I'm on Instagram. So, yeah, you can find yeah. me on social media. You can follow my journey there. I've got a website, titimtendi.com, and um, the website for all my businesses. So you have um, nakalegacy.com, africanfamilyfirms.org. Yeah, .org is uh, African Family Firms. And yeah, and I've got my podcast, Enterprising Families. So you can follow my journey on any of these platforms. And I am happy to engage people. Oh, definitely, definitely. That's really cool. Because uh, I forgot to say, you're actually a podcast host. How does it feel to be on the other side being interviewed? <laughs> <laughs> I think I spend a lot more time on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But I, I enjoy both experiences. I think it's, it's equally fun. Um, and I love talking to people. Um, when you talk to people, you learn a lot. And um, so you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you, Tanatwa. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Tutsi. Uh, you know, we, we just started as well. I just started this year. So still quite fresh to me. So uh, learning the ropes and hopefully uh, just keep improving the platform. Now, I'm always happy for people's feedback. Leave us comments, anything, suggestions. We welcome everything that you guys throw at us. Okay. So again, Tutsi, I just want to say again, thanks again uh, for coming on to the podcast. This is episode 12. Um, thanks to all the people supporting us, watching the podcast. Again, uh, uh, make sure you subscribe, follow. Be sure to leave us any feedback, like I was just saying. And uh, if you do have any questions for me, yeah, just let me know as well as TC. She gave her contacts as well uh, that people that want, might want to reach her and just talk about some of the stuff that she's doing. Yeah. Once again, thank you and thank you, TC. And uh, yeah, okay. we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs> Yes. Sure.